Welcome to the podcast where we answer the question, that's healthy? This is your host, Hope Brandt. Social media has really done a doozy on our perception of health and wellness, and I want to help set the record straight. Quick fixes and fad diets? Unachievable beauty standards? Extreme fitness challenges that leave you more broken than when you started? I'll pass. Taking ownership of your choices, treating your body and mind with respect, filling your life with things and people that lift you up instead of tear you down. Yeah, that's healthy. And that's exactly what you'll find here. Let's start the show. All right. I'm so, 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 so excited to have Miranda Galati with me today. Did I say that correctly? You did. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Miranda is my girl crush dietitian. <laughs> I think you are one of the like only people that I've been consistently following since becoming a dietitian. So for years now, and I just am so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for saying that. The feeling is mutual. I feel like our philosophies really align. And yeah, I'm so excited to be here. So thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Nope. The pleasure is completely mine. So um, I really kind of would love to work through kind of like comparing and contrasting our personal histories with dieting and what that looked like and then kind of coming around full circle to where we kind of end up in this middle ground moderation train, which is not somewhere Mm -hmm. that I thought that I would ever, ever be with my nutrition. I don't know about you. I feel the exact same way. (laughs) (laughs) So I know we've talked super briefly just, and you have shared about your history. I think it was with Weight Watchers, which is where you kind of started your weight loss nutrition journey. And y'all know I was the paleo girl. So (laughs) that's kind of where we're coming from. But really. What I kind of wanted to talk about and ask about is food rules and Mm -hmm. what those look like and why they're so attractive to people initially, but why they're not going to yield the best results in the long run. So if you could just kind of talk a little bit about your history and talk about food rules that you had and we'll kind of just go from there. Absolutely. Yes. So yeah, as you mentioned, a big part of my history is Weight Watchers. You know, that's what really got me started in the dieting world. You know, when I was um, younger, when I was, I mean, sadly, when I was a kid, when I was a teen, I remember really struggling with Mm -hmm. my weight and probably even more so my body image and kind of like testing the waters with different ways to restrict, but I never really went full into anything until I was in university. I can't remember my exact age, maybe 19. And I decided I was going to do Weight Watchers. And what's interesting is, you know, Weight Watchers, quote unquote, worked for me. You know, I lost weight with Weight Watchers. um, And so I had an outcome that a lot of people hope for when they do that program. Mm -hmm. Um, But through doing that, through losing weight, honestly, probably too much weight too quickly, it wasn't until later that I kind of realized the repercussions of that. Um, and And a big piece of that was my relationship with food suffering and not realizing I maybe 
swung from like one end of the spectrum, which was not really knowing a ton about nutrition and not really being too careful with what I ate and probably having some room for improvement with my habits to then swing the other way where it was a bit more um, rigid and restrictive and obsessive. Yes. Yes. The classic nutritional pendulum swing. (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. And okay. So you said something that I think a lot of people would be like, wait, what? When you said you lost too much weight too quickly. I think Mm -hmm. so many people who want to lose weight and are looking to lose weight would be like, how, like that isn't even possible. I want to lose as much weight as possible as quickly as possible. So mm-hmm. what does that look like and what what did you mean by that? Yeah, and thank you for asking that question because I do think that's a source of confusion for people and that is what most people want. But and it's what I wanted too to mm-hmm. be honest at the time. <laughs> it's yeah. not until kind of reflecting back I can see the issue with that. So, yeah, what I mean by too much too quickly is what I didn't realize about Weight Watchers at the time of doing it is that although you're not counting calories, we know, we know this as dietitians now, right? But mm-hmm. as, although you're not counting calories, what it's doing is it's it's a system to get you into a calorie deficit. And what I didn't really understand at the time is Weight Watchers, at least when I did it, um, they tended to have a system that would pull your calories really, really low. So what that means is that you're kind of like guaranteed a little bit of success with weight loss if you're are able to abide by their point system. But what I didn't realize is like the damage that that can have. So as I said, I lost weight, I lost it quickly, but I didn't just lose fat. I also lost muscle mass. I lost energy. I lost strength and honestly interest in life. And honestly, I kind of created a way of eating for myself that was just bound to be really, really hard to sustain because at the end of the day, it was just too little food for me to really feel fueled to, I mean, to do exercise, but also just to do life and to feel good. Right. Yeah. So dipping your calories so low to the point where, yeah, you're, it it would be impossible not to achieve some type of weight Mm -hmm. loss, Mm -hmm. but not sustainable any in any sense because it's not supporting your basic BMR needs, your activity levels. Exactly. Yeah, that it, it, well, but it puts you in a conundrum, especially when you don't have, like you were saying, you don't have a lot of education around it, and it's like, wait, yeah, this is what I wanted to happen, and but it's actually not making me feel how I thought I was going to feel after that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you were asking about food rules too. And a big piece of this was I, through this whole process, something, and another negative (laughs) kind of consequence of all this was I didn't really understand how to fuel and I didn't really understand foods, but instead I like learned all these Weight Watchers rules and that's kind of like what stuck around with me and it created issues with my relationship with food down the road. So if anyone listening has done Weight Watchers, you can probably relate. It really makes you fear fats. It really makes you think through the lens of like trying to completely eliminate oil, completely reduce fats. And it kind of has you looking at food through a lens of, you know, how can I take this and make it as few points as humanly possible, (laughs) rather than Mm -hmm. thinking about how to make meals filling and nourishing and supportive of your goals. So yeah, I always, I'm like always nervous to talk about Weight Watchers, because I can acknowledge like, yes, technically, it 
worked for me, but <laughs> not in a long-term or safe or sustainable way that I would ever recommend for anyone else. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's what I, I try to drive that point home when I talk about my weight loss through the paleo diet as well, which is, mm-hmm. yeah, technically it did work in the sense that I lost weight. However, exactly. I'm not going to recommend that you go that route because I had to go back and undo a lot of the exactly. damage that I, I did to myself, you know, like mentally when I was thinking about food and how I was feeling about food and all of that, all of that stuff. So I think there's much more sustainable and healthful ways to produce those results where you won't have to go back and undo a bunch of stuff later. <laughs> Yeah. And that's exactly it. Like, and it was honestly for me years and years and years of unlearning that stuff. And first of all, trying to even identify what were food rules that actually weren't helping me. Like I didn't, when you're going through it, you're not really realizing that some of those things you picked up from Weight Watchers are still there. And you're not really realizing that those actually might be harming you more than they're hurting you. And then there's this whole process after you've realized what's going on of having to unlearn those things and figure something else out. And yeah, as you said, avoiding some of these overly restrictive diets can just I think it's the smart move. I think it can be a little slower to make your progress maybe, but so much less damage to undo. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So specifically, what were some of the food rules that you remember kind of like struggling with the most? Or when did you have some of those light bulb moments where it's like, wait, why am I doing this? And is this helping me? And how can I adjust the way that I view this to then actually help myself create a sustainable diet instead of following? these food rules? Yeah. So, okay. Let me try to think back. Some of the food rules that I held on to. So one, as I said, I was really fearing oil and fats post Weight Watchers. So I know for me, a lot of my food rules were revolved around that. So it was like, you can only use a spray oil. God forbid you use like two teaspoons of olive oil. (laughs) I could only use a spray oil. Um, You know, nuts. I remember counting um, my nuts always. Like, I don't think there's necessarily inherently something wrong with that, depending on the person where they are in their journey. But for me, it was meticulous and it wasn't really a healthy mindset. I remember like sitting down and I would allow myself like eight almonds. Right. (laughs) There's a difference for sure between being aware of your portion size and grabbing like a small handful versus literally counting them out. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, that was a big one for me. I also remember around like carbs, there were a lot of food rules for me. I remember thinking like, but I thought bread was bad. Like when I would have bread, I felt like it was like a treat, which is totally not how I feel now. And I remember there were a lot of food rules about, right? So weird. (laughs) Yes. Oh no. Bread was legitimately a a treat. And when I started reincorporating it every day that I had bread, I was like, Oh oh my gosh, I get to eat bread today. And yeah, now it's just like a normal thing, but yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Bread was a huge one. And like there was more with bread too. Like it had to be whole wheat or like sourdough or something that I perceived as more healthy. Like I, you know, if I could, I don't even know how I was viewing just like a white baguette at like that time. I probably <laughs> like viewed it as completely forbidden, but I also remember it was like a frequency thing. Like, oh, well, if I had bread at like breakfast, then I wouldn't like, I can't have it at lunch. Like, <laughs> Right. Just yes. all these, all these things. I, it, it's interesting because when I think back to my food rolls, it was, 
I wasn't looking at the bigger picture. Like a, a lot of what I was doing with my nutrition was looking at every individual food, every individual meal and snack and kind of obsessing over making those things perfect. And it really, it wasn't, it wasn't helping me. It didn't feel good to me mentally. And I, as I said, like, it just wasn't sustainable. And it was just a lot of unnecessary stuff that I was doing too. Yes. Yes. Just once you are able to, like you were saying, look at something from the big picture and put everything in context, you do realize how completely unnecessary it is to fixate on mm-hmm. individual ingredients or even individual meals. Like it's all about mm-hmm. the the big picture. But no, I completely resonate with that as well because my food rules really stemmed from reading food labels and not mm-hmm. like the macronutrient label, the ingredient list. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if it had any type of artificial ingredient, any type of oil that wasn't um, like avocado oil or coconut oil, immediate no. It was extremely restrictive in the products that I was buying. And then also, I mean, literally if like a canned vegetable had citric acid in it, it was like, nope, can't do it. And I don't think that I like maybe was bordering on like disordered eating, but like it wasn't Mm -hmm. anything that was even that extreme. But looking back, it was just completely unnecessary and added stress that did not need to be there at all. So how did you work through breaking out of those food rules, both the way that you were thinking about it and then actually eating more than eight almonds at a time or having bread more than once a day? Like, what did that look like for you? So I kind of went through an interesting journey with this because I actually didn't realize there was a problem. And then I ended up going to see a dietitian for something else entirely. So this was all kind of happening and worsening as I was like beginning my career. I'm a second career RD. So I was beginning my career in marketing at the time. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And so I was beginning my career in marketing at the time and my digestion was terrible. Okay. I, and I couldn't figure out why, because I, it was new. It was a new issue for me. Um, maybe a little TMI, but my digestion was so slow and I really, really struggled to stay regular. I was like chronically constipated. And Mm -hmm. so I, of course I was like, well, there needs to be something wrong with what I'm eating. Like I must be needing to eliminate more. Like whatever. So I actually, I went to doctors and I struggled with this for a long time. And it's, it's a bit of a long story, but I ended up with a dietitian and she really helped my digestion and helped me guide this process of learning what was going on and why. But through doing that, it gave me this like light bulb realization of like, I wonder like, if I'm under eating <laughs> and like, I wonder if like, there's so many foods I can't eat right now. And, um, I kind of realized that my relationship with food and my eating habits and all this stuff that stuck with me from Weight Watchers might be influencing my digestive symptoms too. And it wasn't like an immediate light bulb moment. It was actually several years of kind of going back and forth and working through this, going back to school to be, become a dietitian. But that's kind of what allowed me to clue into some of the issues I was having with my eating behavior and really think about, are these things actually genuinely serving me or are they just making me 
feel like I'm doing the right things because they're abiding by these food rules. And it was funny too, because I, after Weight Watchers in those years following, even though my digestion was so terrible, I really felt like I figured out the health thing. Like I, I, I was like real smug about it. Like I thought I figured it out. Oh, like I finally yes. knew how to lose weight and turns out I, I, I didn't. <laughs> no, no. I mean, so, so same. I was so smug about paleo being the <laughs> yeah. best thing and like, why would you poison your body, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Awful. I remember a huge light bulb moment that I had. I was in, I was in class one day. I was probably in one of my nutrition therapy classes, like in the upper mm-hmm. end of uh, my nutrition degree. And one of my friends was sitting next to me and he was eating a yogurt bowl. And I was Mm -hmm. like, golly, that looks so good. And he's over there just enjoying like yogurt and granola and fruit. And I realized I literally, I cannot remember the last time I ate yogurt because I'd cut out dairy for no reason, but but because I was doing paleo. And so I literally, I went to the store on the way home and bought yogurt and made myself a (laughs) yogurt bowl when I got home. And I was like this is amazing. <laughs> and I've been <laughs> missing this just because I quote, like had to cut out all dairy because it was quote mm-hmm. inflammatory when I mm-hmm. have never had a problem with dairy. And so mm-hmm. from that point on, I was like, what am I doing? Like, why am I listening to these rules <laughs> that are not made for me? Oh yeah, I can relate. How I yeah, I can only imagine what dairy is like after giving it up. <laughs> I'm such a dairy fan. Oh my gosh, it's so much better. If you think frigging almond milk is good in coffee, like <sighs> yeah, I'm. And for those that are truly lactose intolerant, I'm sorry. <laughs> but the creaminess actually... that comes from dairy, like it's just cannot be replicated. <laughs> Totally. It's funny. I like never, I never gave up dairy, but that was one of my things too. I remember I would buy almond milk and soy milk a lot. And just like you, like I didn't have a problem with dairy and I I really liked dairy actually. It was just one of those things. Like it was perceived as healthier by like, I don't know, our society at the time. And I was all about leaning into that and yeah, makes makes me sad. But you know what? I know we want to get into um, intuitive eating in this discussion. Yeah. I I feel like it's worth mentioning for me. Part of my like journey into like this balanced moderation mindset that I have today, interestingly, was intuitive eating to start. So all of this was happening. It was several years. It was a little messy and cloudy, but I remember coming across some intuitive eating dietitians actually on social media. And when I discovered intuitive eating. I felt like I, something clicked and I really leaned into it for a little while and kind of immediately left my like restrictive stuff behind once I'd finally discovered intuitive eating and really leaned into that. And that's kind of what started yet again for me, another pendulum swing into the other direction before I eventually settled back somewhere in that nice messy middle. (laughs) Yes. Well, and you're exactly right. It is messy and continues to be a work in progress. But I think with increased awareness around what you're doing, it's like once you see something, you can't unsee it. And so it's just going to continue to be that messy middle ground because nothing's black and white anymore. (laughs) And so it's inherently more challenging. I feel like especially with the added voices that come from social media or even, you know, like friends, family, coworkers, 
it's always difficult to hone into yourself and Mm -hmm. what you need and what your goals are and take action Mm -hmm. on those things, you know, despite what anybody else is doing or what anybody else is saying. Okay. I do want to hear about, yeah, like your experience with intuitive eating. I don't have any personal experience with it other than just reading about it, doing research on it and understanding the principles of it. So what did that look like for you? And like the, so I'm assuming that was kind of the pendulum swing over to back Mm -hmm. again to not having a lot of structure with what you were doing. And yeah. So what did that look like? Yes, exactly. So again, my story is a bit messy because they're like, it's hard for me to reflect back and distinguish between what were restrictions that I was making because of my digestive issues and what were restrictions because of the Weight Watchers lingering. But either way, I was feeling really, really restricted. And I was starting to repair that. And then as I said, I, I I actually don't remember who it was, but I remember discovering some intuitive eating dietitians through social media and having this like light bulb moment of like, wait, they seem to have their shit together with food and like, look at how relaxed they feel, but they seem to feel really good in their bodies too. Like I, that's what I want. That's what I want. I want to feel good in my body, but I don't want to care about food too much. And so I kind of leaned into that and my journey with it kind of started. There was a really popular podcast um, at the time, uh, like pretty much solely about intuitive eating and relationship with food. And I remember like binging this podcast and really digging into intuitive eating and really buying into it. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, it was it served a really important purpose for me because it did kind of shatter my perspective with food. And it really was like the final push I needed to be like, wait, maybe it's like not that serious. And maybe it's not about eliminating things. Maybe that's not going to be the key for me long term, which was wonderful. But I found over time as I was practicing intuitive eating, I wasn't feeling, and this was just my experience. I don't want to, you know, shit on a, a philosophy that can benefit yes. some people. Absolutely, it can. Well, and with intuitive eating specifically, I find it at least referenced or like as a teaching method for people legitimately coming from disordered eating or recovering yeah. from eating disorders. And so in that light, I think that it's fantastic and wonderful. And I, and even looking at the principles just for people who aren't coming from, you know, those more extreme histories, I think that some of the principles are really fantastic, but I do think think it's important to specify that when people who are intuitive eating dietitians are talking about intuitive eating, it's a very specific framework. It's not just like we listen to our bodies. Like there are, there are frameworks and there are teaching tools and specific things that are included within that framework. So I think that it gets confusing because the word intuitive is just thrown around, not necessarily in the context of like that framework. Yes, that's exactly true. And yeah, exactly. As you were saying, for me, I think Again, I never had an eating disorder, but I do think there were there were some disordered eating patterns happening there, obviously. Mm-hmm. And intuitive eating like changed my perspective and there it gave me a lot of tools which I still utilize today, like understanding hunger and fullness and 
like ditching that diet mentality. That was really, really important for me. But personally, as I went on, I just found like it lacked, it lacked the structure that really I needed to feel my best physically and mentally. You know, I was someone who struggled with my weight and with food since as long as I can remember. I always felt like I didn't have that same awareness of my hunger and fullness cues even as a kid. And I just felt like food never felt super easy for me. And over time, I really had to come to terms with, okay, maybe it's not intuitive eating. That's like my final perfect system. Maybe this was just a catalyst to getting me to something that doesn't have a label. And I can kind of pick and choose tools from different perspectives to find something that really genuinely feels good to me physically and mentally. And that's kind of where I found my personal sweet spot and the lens through which I practice now, which I think you do too. (laughs) Yes. No, I love that and completely resonate with this kind of hybrid approach of, well, and I think this is where it kind of gets into, and this is a term that I (laughs) just came across. It's called informed eating. I love it. And so I've seen a couple of like contrasts between like intuitive eating versus informed eating. and it really kind of is the hybrid of being able to still be aware of your body and listen to your hunger and your fullness cues, but taking it a step further to then ask yourself, and then how is this food going to impact me physically? How is it going to impact my hunger cues or like my hunger Mm -hmm. hormones? How am I going to feel after eating this? Not just thinking about what you want to eat or what your hunger is telling you beforehand. And I thought that was a really smart way to put it because yeah. yeah it's not just all about what you're feeling it's about the information that you have and what you know as well and the only tricky part is you have to be working on good information <laughs> to then be able to yes. informed <laughs> nutrition but um i saw that term and i was like oh miranda and i have to talk about this because it sounds very similar to what I know that you talk about and kind of how I coach as well. So how does that look to you? How, what does your hybrid approach kind of include with intuitive eating and then also more structure? Yeah. So I think like, this is something that a lot of my clients help me learn too. I think for me, like this big difference between intuitive eating and the way I practice or informed eating as you're describing it, because I really do align with that kind of verbiage too. I think the big difference is Intuitive eating by nature really rejects this idea of intentional weight loss. And again, for those people who are going through that experience, that is maybe necessary. And I totally understand that. But for me, I've really learned over the years that perhaps it's not intentional weight loss that's harmful for everybody. Maybe it's the mindset we have going into it, trying to do it super fast, like I did, trying to do it super fast in a really unhealthy way. And now I think my kind of hybrid approach has come to, okay, well, what's your goal? If it's weight loss, which it happens to be for a lot of my clients, that's okay. But how can we get there in a way that's not going to harm your relationship with food and kind of monitoring that along the way to make sure you're staying in a healthy mindset. And then the actual tools that we're using kind of look different for everybody. So for some people, I I know this, um, I sometimes I hesitate to say this, but for some people that honestly might look like calorie tracking, even Mm -hmm. though that feels so anti a balanced approach for some people, that little bit of education and clarity around how much they're eating and what nutrients those foods are providing can be really helpful, but we do it in a different way where we're 
making yes. sure to set your calorie target to something healthy and appropriate. Yep. So many times people then realize, and really I see this when we're talking about protein and fiber, they realize yes. they are yes. so far below the targets, the very doable targets that we have set that it's like, oh, I had no idea I was eating 60 grams of protein a day instead of, you know, shooting for over 100 or I had no idea that I was getting 10 grams of fiber and it was all coming from like a super high fiber wrap that I ate at lunch and that was it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It can be, I think for certain people, it can be a really empowering tool. And for some people that's too triggering. So we find other yes. tools, right? Like with a lot of other clients, we'll do like a simple plate method where we talk about what a balanced plate and a balanced snack looks like. And they just kind of use that as like a more loose structure to guide their eating. And for some people that can achieve similar types of results. And then, I mean, there's so many tools we can, we can pull from. It just depends on the person. Yes, no, for sure. And I love the framework of looking at meals and snacks and then looking at your eating schedule and making sure, okay, yeah. we're not going too long without eating. And postponing eating is something that I come across with my clients all the time where, you know, mm -hmm. and I think this comes from, you know, whatever diet they followed or if it was very low calorie, you know, then thinking that yeah. the later you start eating, the more likely it's going to be that you are able to stay at that super low calorie mark. Or just not counting calories at all and thinking the less that I eat today, the better, because the faster yeah. I'll lose weight. And so that can be really hard to work through, too, when we're talking about balancing eating throughout the day and making sure that you are fueling yourself to feel good, not just yeah. produce weight loss. Absolutely. And you know what? I think like one commonality between whatever tool we choose to employ with everyone who's different, the one commonality for me is I think a lot of people, especially when weight loss is the goal, a lot of us will benefit from some type of self-monitoring. So maybe that's tracking calories. But for some people, that might be something as simple as setting and reflecting on goals every week. Or it might be visual food journaling, where we just have a little bit more mindfulness and awareness over what we're eating because we're snapping a quick picture of it. But I find that seems to benefit a lot of us because sometimes we just can't see our patterns clearly. And so figuring out a way to view them more objectively can be really, really helpful in actually starting to shift some of those habits. For sure. And just bringing awareness to it, most of the time already starts putting those shifts yes. in place because yeah, you know exactly. that you're either sharing it with someone or you just have that little added accountability to start being more aware and making more conscious decisions. And so that's happened so many times where I literally will say, don't change anything where I just want to see where you are. And they'll come back yeah. and say, okay, I know you said not to change anything, but I know I needed to add more fruits and vegetables. And so, you know, their diary has more fruits and vegetables in it. And it's like, well, you know, I'm never going to knock adding fruits and vegetables, but yeah, just the added accountability and awareness of, mm -hmm. of doing that can put those shifts into motion already. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And you are on Instagram as real life nutritionist. Yes. Yeah. Real dot life dot nutritionist. Yes. And I want to talk about what realistic nutrition means to you and why you 
make such a point of showing real life meals that, you know, aren't super glamorous, that are very, how you say, doable, mm-hmm. and set that example for people. So, what kind of is the driving motivation behind that? Well, you know what? Again, this is like a high, this came from a hybrid of what works for me and what I see working for my clients. And what I realized was a lot of us get tripped up on trying to follow someone else's diet or someone else's rules or trying to make things a little fancy. And while that can be one, like, I'm not going to judge if something genuinely works for you and you can keep up with it, then you go girl. I'm like so excited for you. But for a lot of us, I think trying to do something too fancy or too elaborate or whatever it is can hold us back from being consistent. And I think not being able to be consistent is one of the biggest reasons that a lot of us struggle with our nutrition and feel like we're constantly failing diets because we're picking approaches that can feel good for a day, a week, a month, a year, whatever it is. But eventually we fall back into those old habits and we didn't really learn any type of approach that could actually be carried over into real life. So what I've kind of want to promote is rather than making things perfect, let's do whatever we can do to make this truly doable for you so that you can actually do it (laughs) and actually stick to it because that's where the magic is going to happen. Yes. Yes. Oh gosh. Something that drives me nuts is yeah. Looking for like optimal or perfect or what's going to be the best. And it's like, well, optimal is achievable. And if you're not able to do it, then that's not optimal. (laughs) You have to be able to do it. (laughs) And I see this so much. I think specifically with people wanting to meal prep and do Mm -hmm. it like all the time, every meal, have everything set up. And I, again, like you were saying, I love that for you. If you are able to carve out that type of time and meal prep your meals and like have all the little matching containers and all that stuff, I love that for you. I will not be doing that. And I know that that's just me neither. (laughs) (laughs) And so having a system where, yes, there are, there's some structure in place but it's not holding you back because it feels like this huge task that you have to undertake, like spend your entire Sunday meal prepping. Like that's just not it for me. I will not, I won't be doing that. And most people that I know won't be doing that either. But it's like this weird standard that I think people think they have to meet if they're going to like eat healthy throughout the week. I also find, um, you know, a big benefit to that approach is it, I find it helps with the mindset piece for people, because I think a lot of us get really tripped up in that all or nothing thinking. And again, it really prevents us from being consistent enough to see changes. And the thing that I really like about this doable and realistic approach is it kind of proves to people through practice and then through seeing how that feels, it proves to people that small changes actually can have a big impact by taking a meal you already like, and just like making tweaks, adding more protein, adding more vegetables, that in and of itself can be impactful enough for you to start to see the progress that you want. And through proving that to yourself without having to eliminate bread, eliminate sugar, all this stuff. I feel like it gives people the confidence to continue on with this balanced approach. And also it helps healthy eating feel like less of a, of a chore and something to dread because you're not taking anything away. Yes. There's two things that you said that I just, I always relate back to you when 
I hear it at all. And that's nutrition by addition, adding things to your plate (laughs) and also like enjoyability and satisfaction of what you're eating. And those are two things that always make me think of you. And so if you could just speak on those concepts a little bit and what you've what you've learned personally and then also kind of like tangible ways to be able to do that. Yeah. So, you know, I think these concepts can really go hand in hand. So nutrition by addition is exactly how, as it sounds, as you know, it's taking things that you already like to eat and just finding ways to add nutrition to them, either to make that more in line with your goals. If that's weight loss, maybe that's shifting the calorie content of the meal a little bit. That's okay. If you're just looking to feel more in control, maybe that's adding more fiber, adding more protein. It's really rather than focusing in on the food's like any foods to eliminate or even foods to like reduce, we're putting the emphasis on what can I add to this plate to adjust it to align with my goals. And I find it's just a much more enjoyable way at looking at things. And yes, in the end, it it might reduce some of the more like fun foods you're eating or the more simple carbs you're eating. But we did that without zeroing in on eliminating or drastically reducing things that, you know, give us joy. And then along those same lines, yes, I'm such a huge believer in the power of satisfaction. And I, I always like to give this example of like, have you ever eaten a meal and you know it was enough calories, you know it was enough protein, it had like a literal mountain of vegetables, it was so high in fiber, <laughs> it was perfect nutritionally, but you end it and you just think, like I could really use something else. I could really use a donut. I could really use like a chocolate bar and it was nutritionally optimal, but it didn't satisfy. And that is usually going to leave us hunting for satisfaction later and ultimately might might actually lead us to eat more than we intended at the end of the day. So building that satisfaction in with intention, again, can help us get that consistency that can really, really help us thrive in the long term. Yes. Yes. I love that so much. And also love just being able to think of those real world examples where, you know, I can think back multiple times when I was learning how to, how to optimize my nutrition, really create a sustainable approach. And, you know, it's like, I'm, I want something sweet, but I'm going to eat this like crusty protein bar. And then it's like, (laughs) well, that didn't do anything for me really. So now I'm going to eat like a banana and peanut butter. Well, that didn't do it. So now I'm going to eat the cookie that was sitting there that I actually wanted the whole time. But now I've just eaten all of this stuff and then still eaten the cookie <laughs> because nothing nothing was doing it for me. I actually just wanted the cookie. And so it's like, what would yeah. happen if you ate the cookie and then loved it and were able to move on with your life instead of then, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, probably eat tripling the calories that you ate just to try not to eat the cookie. So mm-hmm. no, I I love the concept of of satisfaction and and also just realizing that if you're not enjoying what you're doing, you're not going to be able to be consistent with it. And so we have totally. to be able to work in enough enjoyment to where it it makes our approach sustainable, but we're not overindulging at the same time. Finding that middle ground Exactly. And it's, it's funny, as you're saying that I'm thinking, you know, I know there's going to be people listening who hear what you say, and they think, but I could never stop at one cookie. And I know that feeling. Personally, I genuinely know that feeling. And I think that's where the power of 
work, right? I mean, I get it. Like that you can mm-hmm. get to a point where you feel like people who are like that are lying. Like, yes, <laughs> or I'm no. just not like that. <laughs> I legitimately, oh my gosh, Miranda, I was doing, oh God, I did a podcast, the episode before this, where I went back and I was roasting some of my old posts. It was so <laughs> cringy, but I was talking about how I hated moderation because it doesn't exist. I literally like was writing a post about it and uh, it's just so funny to look at like how far you can come when you aren't afraid of working satisfaction into your nutrition. And when you can do that on a regular basis, then you truly don't feel the need to eat an entire dozen cookies. Like you can have one or two and know that they'll be there for you the next day if you want one. But yeah, yeah, no, it's crazy. I literally, I, same thing. I was like, these people are liars. (laughs) Yeah. I I honestly thought that, or it was like, it would oscillate between like, they're lying or like, I'm just not one of them. I'm yeah. I'm just broken. Yeah. They're (laughs) lying or I'm broken. (laughs) Yeah. But something I was going to say about that too, is like, I, I think that's a totally valid feeling. And I think that's where the power can be. And, and honestly working with a dietitian or someone who can help you work through these things because it's not only about satisfaction obviously it's not only about that nutrition plays a role too and we have to get a good solid foundation of nutrition and work on the mindset piece to be able to get to that place where we can feel satisfied with one cookie and also where like the nutrition piece feels a lot easier and more second nature and it's hard it's hard to do it alone well it is it really is it's a multifaceted approach. And yeah, if you're not mm-hmm. fueling yourself well and your body is missing some key nutrients, then it's going to be really hard to feel satisfied with what you're eating. <laughs> and or exactly. if you hate what you're eating, it's also going to be really hard to feel satisfied with what you're eating. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, exactly. A diet you hate is probably not a diet you can sustain. So <laughs> we have to consider that. <laughs> okay. So... <laughs> You are also a big TikToker, which <laughs> I have a TikTok and I have like a hundred followers. So <laughs> I oh my god, it's frustrating over there. <laughs> okay, so I wanted to ask, and because I do see like such a difference between the content that's on you know like Instagram versus TikTok, and so what are mm-hmm. some of the most annoying or like most pervasive diet trends that you're seeing on TikTok that you you feel like you are making content to address or dispute? You know what? I will say I'm a little bit, I feel like I'm a little guarded from what's out there because I have a healthy relationship with food now. So I don't, I feel like I don't see the depths of it sometimes. Yes. <laughs> but I, do, I still do get exposed to a little bit of it. And the thing that I'm seeing mo- most often recently is this gut health craze. I don't know if you've seen that anywhere on Instagram or elsewhere on the internet, but I see a lot, a lot of content being shared about like, I transform my gut health and look, I've dropped 50 pounds um, or I like healed my acne through that or did whatever. And the thing that drives me crazy about that is, as you know, as a dietitian, the reality of the research of gut health 
is that it's really new and we yeah. really don't know anything. Exactly. <laughs> is that little. we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We know very little about how to impact. I mean, we know some things, but we don't know that much about how to influence um, gut microbiome or, mm-hmm. or gut health. And what what I would say we do know is that it's certainly not a magic solution where you heal your gut health, whatever that means. And then boom, the rest of the issues across your body are just, just magically disappear and you shed weight and all this stuff. And I don't know where it's come from. It's interesting, but that's probably the one that drives me most mental because I feel like it preys on really vulnerable people who are either struggling with gut health and digestive symptoms or struggling with their weight. And And, and I bet that strikes a chord with you, with your personal story with having digestive issues and yeah it's totally yeah that is totally super annoying and i think one of the things that annoy and i have seen you know some of this to an extent on instagram too i feel like gut health continues to be one of those mm-hmm. things that people want to harp on and people can really be, just spout whatever information they want to because there's there's not a lot that we actually know about it and so you know drawing all of these even some conclusions that might sound logical but we can't mm-hmm. we don't know if that's actually how it works but the weight loss component of it because i feel like people are so perplexed by what actually drives weight loss anyway and so then mm-hmm. having it be this magical thing that like, yeah, if you just correct your gut health, then you'll lose 50 pounds when it's like, well, no, that person was also in some sort of caloric deficit and that's how (laughs) they lost weight. It's not because they've like healed their gut and now all their problems are solved. And so, yeah, any type of, yeah, I guess just like magic pill or like added like mysteriousness around what drives weight loss really irks me because we know what drives weight loss, but people don't, I think, want to believe that it's can be as simple as it is. Not that it's easy to do, but simple in principle. But yeah, that, that irks me. me. Me too. And I do. That's another thing that bugs me is I see a lot of supplements being pushed and you know, supplements can certainly have a place, but I think a lot of claims around a lot of supplements are extremely exaggerated. And again, they are often preying on people with these deep rooted issues with their weight and body image and uh, potentially digestion too. And it's frustrating to see. And yeah, to your point as well, it kills me because I feel like it creates a culture where it fewer and fewer people are going to believe us when we tell them, <laughs> Truly, all you need to lose weight is to find a way to eat a little bit less than your body needs consistently over time. Um, I feel like the more these other things are being pushed, the less people believe that it could be that unsexy. <laughs> yes, yes, that it really could just be that. No, I'm. I mean, I've had people say like, "No, I know it's my hormones. I know it's this, mm-hmm. and it's just at that point, you know." Like you just have to let people be on their own journey and say totally okay. yes. <laughs> but yeah, if you if you want to to really know working with an evidence based professional who is not selling, I mean, and that's just a glaring red flag to me is anything that sounds too good to be true, or anything that is you know this secret that, Mm -hmm. you know, this one guru knows that apparently no one else knows. 
it is too good to be true. Most of the time, yeah. I would say 99.9% of the time, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally, I'm like nodding my head so vigorously because I totally agree. And I feel like the sign that you're following an, a truly evidence-based professional is they're going to speak with so much nuance. It's going to sound so boring. It, they're going to yes. say it depends <laughs> so much and they're going to not make anything really sound that exciting, but that is the reality of so many of these things. And so if someone is really making it sound black and white, like you got to run. Yes. <laughs> yes. My, my husband literally yesterday, last night he was like you know I try to read your posts but sometimes they're just like too long and you like they're too detailed and it's like well I can't leave those details out like this is the information I know know. it's so it is so hard to find that balance because we need to be heard those of us who aren't promoting anything unsafe and unsustainable we need to be heard and unfortunately sometimes the way to be heard is to say something controversial but we need to be so careful in doing that because we want to get people's attention to this messy middle balanced message but we don't obviously don't want to be irresponsible in doing so so it's tough it's tough (laughs) it is it is Well, and so you come from a marketing background as well. So that Mm -hmm. whole side Mm -hmm. of it also lends so much perspective to where I can immediately just be like, this is marketing. Like this is just, Mm -hmm. and or false advertising, especially when we're talking about supplements or or things like that, Mm -hmm. where it's almost to a point where it's like, do people read this and believe this? Yeah. But if you're in a a point where you are feeling desperate, then you do want to believe that something Mm -hmm. can be that magic bullet that's going to help you or heal you. And so just like you were saying, it's preying on that vulnerability. And that just makes me very angry. That's probably the biggest. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) I'll like march in the street over that. (laughs) Yeah, no, me too. And it is so hard. And to your point, like I think just so many people need to find their magic solution, right? Like they're at a point where they've tried so much, so much has failed in the long term, and they're so frustrated. So I truly get it. I get the appeal and I get why you want to believe this next thing is the thing. But there is, I always tell people, like I promise there really is a way to achieve your goals here and you can do it in a sustainable way. It, but unfortunately it requires, you know, tuning out that other noise and really focusing in on you and going slow and steady as well. Yes. Well, yeah. And the, the willingness to be patient with it, which is really, really difficult, Mm -hmm. but anybody who says it's going to be easy is lying to you. It's not, it's going to be hard. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Okay, Miranda, I'm so glad that you were here to have this conversation with me. And if you would, just tell people how they can find you, um, what services you offer, and and how to keep in touch. Yes, absolutely. This was so much fun. So thank you. So if you want to follow along or you want to talk about working together, you can follow me um, at real.life.nutritionist on Instagram and TikTok. And I also have a website um, and a blog with some really great deep dive content, reallifenutritionist.com. Right now, um, I'm offering a self-paced course to help you um, stop overeating and find balance and feel in control with food. And I intermittently offer um, some other counseling services, group coaching as well. So the best way to hear about those spots opening up is to follow me on social media or to get on my email list from my website.
Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, Miranda. Thank you. But wait, (laughs) before you go, I'd love it if you'd share this episode with a friend who needs it. And to make sure we stay connected, find me on social media at hopewell underscore health. Or for more information about my nutrition coaching services, check out my website, hopewellhealth.online. And always remember, you are smart, capable, and talented. You have what it takes. I'm just here to educate and encourage you along the way. Catch you next time.